Club. I'm your host, Ryan, and we're back with the Runation Novel Part 3, starting a new part, chapter 21 and 22, to start us off. Um, so let's just hop in the housekeeping real quick. You can listen to us everywhere. Email us at podcastcore at gmail.com. Visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info. Uh, remember, remember, that's C-O-R. And then follow us on all the platforms, because that helps with discoverability. And leave a like and comment, because we love to hear from you. So the easiest way, how we've gotten this far, word of mouth, tell a friend to bury the pain by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast. Now, I know that sounds a bit dark. <laughs> and it's unfortunate, but, you know, we're at that point in the book where we know where this is going. So part three, let's start off at the top, which is usually a quote. And this quote says, a fool with power is a dangerous thing. And we live in a world overflowing with fools and power. <laughs> and I promise this is a quote about Runeterra and not the real world, although it is very much applicable. And then following this, we get another insert from or excerpt from Isolde's journal or Isolde. Um, I'm going to go with Isolde because uh, that's that's my pronunciation I like to use uh, and it rolls a lot better. But in her journal, there's a couple of things she reiterates. First, she's not ready to die, right? She's still young. Uh, she's come so far, but she's not afraid of death. She she makes this a clear point that if it's her time, it's her time. Uh, she talks about how she thinks she was too prideful uh, for wanting to change Camivore for the better. Uh, not so much just the goal of that, specifically that she thought she would be the one needed to do it. And then she talks about her shift in relationship with Viego before she got sick. And this is the most important part, in my opinion, in this journal entry, is that if she talks about how he looks at her differently, it's more of just arm candy rather than an equal. And on her end, how she's starting to see that, you know, she had hopes that the good side of his personality would take over in their relationship and he would lean more in that direction with her giving him a little nudge. But ultimately he was falling back into the ways of his family, which is very selfish, greedy, power hungry. And that was starting to take more of a place. So you start to see actual, like a falling in the relationship before the illness thing happens. And it gives you a bit of insight uh, that I'll talk about a little bit later in the episode. But she also talks about her fear for the world and what will happen when she ultimately dies and Viego's rage takes over him. And how do you protect the rest of the world from this man and what he's capable of doing? And she ends the journal entry kind of instilling that hope in Callista again, saying that once she's gone, Callista's the last person in the world left who's able to rein Viego in, who's able to, you know, take over that responsibility once she's gone. So very sad, right, journal entries, but they are important. I'm happy that's the way these parts are set up to give us that bit of extra insight because it adds so much to the story. But I'm rambling, so let's hop into the first chapter, chapter 21 of part three. Chapter 21, scene one. So we only have two scenes for this first chapter, but they're impactful scenes. Uh, and geez, what a start. We always talk about how Anthony is so good at starting parts, chapters, sections. It's one of his strengths. 
But we have Callista and Venix arriving back in Camelot, and specifically the capital. And Venix mentions, you know, in good light, I don't see any black flags. I don't see any mourning. There's no bells being tolled. So this is a good sign, right? The queen probably hasn't passed. She's probably alive. And Calissa's like, you know, she'll take it, right? <laughs> she'll take the bit of hope. But the thing she notices immediately is almost just as bad, which is the amount of staggering homelessness and destitute people around the uh, port or close to it that she's seeing. And there's military police everywhere. It's bedlam. It's chaos. And remember, she's just coming from the Blessed Isles, right? <laughs> so this juxtaposition is is very shocking to her. But, you know, she walks uh, through this mess and sees the, the decay and sees the strife. And then she starts heading towards the palace as fast as she can. She's noticing that all the shops are boarded up and the square is completely empty. But most of all, there is an execution platform that has had a metric ton of use, <laughs> which is concerning. And she finally arrives at an empty palace and runs into Nuno, remember, our aide assistant to the king. Um, and he looks terrible. <laughs> he looks drained. He was already kind of older and aging, but he looks like he's aged 10 years in the time she's been gone. She hasn't been gone 10 years. And she's like, where's the king? And he tells her the king is locked in his quarters. He hasn't left. And he's neglected his duties as a king. He hasn't left the palace since you've been gone. And this immediately causes concern and takes us to scene two. So Nuno then tells her about the rebellion <laughs> that happened, uh, the conflicts around the nation between borders, um, former enemies that became allies are now enemies again. And Callista demands, okay, I need to see Viego but she notices that he's being guarded and the palace is being guarded by the Iron Order. Now, this is unusual. I mean, this is actually, she mentions this, this is illegal by Camavorian law to have the Iron Order operating as a Praetorian guard, essentially, in the palace. And she demands they move aside and let her see Viego. And the guards are reluctant until Nuno steps in and he reminds them, hey, Hecram, your boss, is her fiance. You might want to let her in. And she approaches Viego's chambers and immediately starts to notice something's off. I mean, the place is a mess. Everything is off in the palace. I mean, everything's off outside the palace as well. But this just reinforces her concerns. And Viego meets her with excitement. Like she mentions he's like a puppy, but he looks pale. He's scrawny. He looks sickly. He still has that winning smile that she mentions. Um, and she tells him the good news. She's like, I found it, right? Is the queen alive? And he says, yes. And he says, let's go talk to her. And as she takes, or as Viego takes Callista towards where Isolde is, quote unquote, laying down, to tell her the good news, she notices the stench immediately, smacks her in the face. And Viego says, you know, she's just tired. She needs to rest. We can talk to her later. And as Callista approaches the bedside, she sees... A shocking sight. The queen is not only dead, she is very, very dead. Oh fuck. <laughs> this is this is exactly what she feared, right? And this is where this chapter is. <laughs> so good ending there. And we'll hop right into the next one. Chapter 22. 
This one's a bit longer than the previous chapter. It's twice as long. It's four scenes. Um, and we pick up where we left off. So Callista double checks to see if Isolde is actually dead. You know, it's, it's kind of obvious. Um, she's assuming that this, that she died like within the last two weeks or so before she arrived back in Camivore by the looks of the body. And after confirming, she tells Viego, you know, we need to move forward with the proper customs to assure that her spirit passes properly. And Viego's face twitches in a weird, manic way. And immediately, he kind of flies through all these emotions and lands in anger. And he tells Callista, back away. You're just like everyone else trying to take her away from me. And while he's going through his tantrum, he summons sanctity without even knowing. It's the Blade of the Room King, right? And that shocks Callista because he's never done this. It'd be like him raising his hand to her. It just, it's never happened. And she's also kind of grieving, right? She sees the queen dead, her friend. Um, and she's not even able to process that on top of Diego acting in this way. Luckily, Nuno's there. He pulls her back, calms down the king, tells him he needs some rest. He's been up late. And Callista's still kind of in shock. And then the king, Diego, ask Ladros, who's in the room, by the way, um, he's his immediate guard, can he watch over him while he takes a little nap because he, he feels tired. And during this time frame, Callista whispers to Ladros as she's heading out that they need to discuss this later. And he agrees. <laughs> he's like, hey, bro, you need to fill me in. And then Nuno, Nuno tells her later that, you know, the queen died actually shortly after she left. And Mikhail's chalice, which they thought would, you know, save her, or at least prolong the illness, which it did, is currently also preserving the corpse. And this is why Callista was confused about the time of death. And this helps a bit because she doesn't feel anymore like she was too late by, you know, that much, like a, a smidge. It's like, no, she died like not too long after you left. But then he tells her there's more bad news. <laughs> you never want to hear that <laughs> because this is pretty bad, right? It's like, what could be worse or what could add to this? So we move to scene two, and he takes her to the treasure vaults, and they're empty. Diego, a man spent all the money. And not only that, he started swiping the credit card as well. So he told her that Diego spent everything he could, get his hands on, uh, and plunge them into debt seeking a cure. And obviously he got scammed, and a lot of things happened, but he was just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what stuck. And he was spending a lot on that spaghetti. So then Nuyo also informs her that there's a current famine going on. <laughs> Which just adds insult to injury, right? Uh, there's been a major drought. People can't eat. They're short on food. And the food they have locked away from the quote-unquote peasants is meant only for the king and obviously the palace to ensure that they continue to eat well. You know how it works. So then she asks, you know, where's Hecram? What is he doing? And Nuno tells her the king sent him east to plunder everything he can and keep moving. And everything he comes in contact with, I mean, old enemies that they sign treaties with, independent nations, there's no, there's no limit. And the king used the death, the death of the queen as justification for this, essentially blaming everyone. Um, but, you know, what happened? It's, it's him lashing out in a way that Isolde warned us about in her journal. So then Callista kind of sits there in shock, right? Speechless after all this. 
And Nuno says, hey, I have to back, I have to go attend with the king. He has some people coming just to tell him, you know, she's still dead. He's going to lash out. It's just like the cycle that they're now in to keep him from going mad or completely mad. He is somewhat mad at this moment. Um, and she just sits there staring and he leaves. And then she finally, finally begins just weeping. And this takes us to scene three. Two days later, Callista finally gets a chance to talk to Ladros. And he kind of fills her in. Uh, he's he's hesitant because there's a bit of conspiracy going on as well. And she mentions, you know, this tension is dumb. We we were good friends. I know what happened between us, but the situation is it is what it is. She's very open. And this is this is new for Callista. Um, and this is kind of some insight into her growth post her experience in the Blessed Isles. Because the way she approaches her ta like talking with Ladros now versus how she used to is she kind of is resembling Jendikaya and how forward she is about everything. And it shocks him as well. So he tells her some stuff. Um, she says, okay, why is the Iron Order in the palace guarding the king? And he says, you know, it's king's orders, but Hecram had some involvement in this. Ladros insinuates that Hecram led the king to give him the orders, kind of pushed him in that direction um, so that he could head east and settle some scores because he's a man who likes power. He also reveals that a rumor has come up that Hecram got his position as Grand Master uh, in the event that the previous one died, but he was in the position to prevent that person from dying, and he chose not to. And Callista is shocked by this, right? She's skeptical because she just got back. There's a bunch of huge revelations, and she doesn't want to leap into any justification um, off the bat. She trusts Ledros. But, you know, she's still being cautious. And he tells her straight up, he's like, listen, he's clenched fist, he's angry. He's like, you can't marry him. He's a bad guy. He'll do anything for power. And they have some back and forth here. And then she says, you know, if he doesn't want her to marry Hecram to benefit her or to benefit him. And that, you know, is a tough thing to say. <laughs> Obviously, this stings him. Uh, and she turns away and walks away in anger, and that's where that conversation ends, and it takes us into the final scene for this chapter. Scene four, she wakes up suddenly, and she's feeling like there's this presence in her room. She hasn't slept well, um, but she goes into fight mode because she's a warrior. And until she sees a figure in the corner, thinking it's Ladros, and kind of calms her down because now she has a chance to actually apologize for how she handled the previous encounter and how she kind of, you know, laid into him. Um, due to the subject matter. And it's not him. It's Viego. And she's like, okay, well, it's Viego. That's also good because I need to talk to him as well. And he seems more reasonable at this moment. He begins kind of you know, crying um, while actually acknowledging that Isolde is dead, which is good. And then Calista apologizes you know, for not being here, but assures him they can move forward together. They're kind of hugging and letting the moment pass. And he mentions restoring her, quote unquote. Now, restoring her in the Blessed Isles, is not, it's not how that works, right? It's meant to heal. She's no longer here. And this makes Callista kind of tense up. And she says, it's too late to bring her back. And Viego's mood has a hard shift again, straight into anger. And he demands Callista tell him what she found, and she refuses. Good job, Callista. <laughs> she decides to withhold information from the king, a crime, but a good one at this moment. This is the right choice. And he calls in guards and says, if you won't tell me, then you're useless to me. Tells the Iron Order to come in, grab her, 
and toss her in a cell and then search her room. And she tries to resist for a moment, but realizes, you know, it's her versus the whole Praetorian guard. There's nothing she can do. And she's already drained from all the events. Remember, this is only two days after she got here. Um, and she finally has all the fight drained out of her. She lets them cuff her, lets them take her away without any resistance. And that's where we end for chapter 22 and for this episode. So it's, you know, it's a sad time. <laughs> it's a sad way to begin. But we knew we were getting here, right? We had fun in part two with all of the adventures and the, you know, sailing the high seas. But ultimately, this is a prequel. We know where this ends and we're getting to that point. Um, the beginning of the end, if you want to be dramatic. Uh, but the one thing I have to mention is, you know, part three, off to a great start. Once again, Anthony's the golden boy. He's doing the damn thing. Uh, he's great at starting chapters and sections. And this is, this fits the rule. So as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for your patience with these episodes. And we'll be back soon with the next episode. And as Hetch always says, take care, everybody. <laughs>